Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me Linda Reese. Hello, Linda. Hello. Now I'm calling to you from, from hottest London after about 10 or 12 days of no rain to the equally hot Arkansas right now, yeah? Yep, I'm out here in lovely uh, northwest Arkansas in the humidity, heat, and uh, afternoon thunderstorms. Now, before we get into film talk, you did promise me on email you'd tell me why why Kansas is Kansas and Arkansas is Kansas as opposed to Arkansas. Right, Arkan- Arkansas was part of the French land purchase. Right. And if you write out Arkansas as Arkansas, but you say it with a French accent or with, a, with the way of the way it would be pronounced in French, the SAS just yeah. becomes an or at the end. Really? So um, that I learned from uh, an Arkansasian, Arkansian, whatever they might be called, person from here. Brilliant. So, I've, always, I've always wanted to know, and you're the first person that's been able to tell me. Sorry? I said, I've always wanted to know, and that's the first time I've heard the explanation. So I feel yeah, like... I feel, part of the Louisiana Purchase, so it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a French pronunciation. Right. Now, we've not come on, obviously, to talk about the geopolitics and history of America. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm breathing a sigh of relief for that notion, too. Yeah. We're here to talk about your short movie, Ready to Go, which is also your direct, directorial debut having worked for, what did you say, 30 years in sort of... In... Yeah, 30, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I started as a mere child. In, in, but but, but in, in, in... I should finish the sentence. In, in, in the art department, prop design and production design, that side of things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so before we go into that, that transition, but let's first say, ready to go then, do you want to give the non-spoiler synopsis as to what that is so people know what we're talking about? Okay, Ready to Go is the story of um, a gentleman called Lance who is taking his aged cat to be put down at the vets. And it's his ruminations on death and what you would do if you knew when you were going to die. And he basically talks to people along the way 
on his journey to the vet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, the tagline is a man's taking his cat to be put down and he wants to talk. Indeed, indeed. And boy, does he talk. And boy, does he talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like he's, we, 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 it's that interesting thing of, um, of, of, if it was, if it was like a kind of noir film and a voiceover, it would work. But basically, he finds people and then starts to tell them how he feels, which is a, a really interesting dramatic thing to watch on a film. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because he is <clears throat> he is the only person who speaks, mm. and um, he interacts with you know three or four other people along the way, but nobody else speaks. So it's for an actor. It's really interesting because basically it's a 10-minute monologue. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, and it's, it, was, it was an interesting process for me, you know, get, how you gauge, how you get the opposite person to react without speaking. Indeed, you know, indeed. To read their reactions. Now, before we get into that bit, so from, from, for you, for this being a, a sort of direct, a first direct thing, um, John Crane is the writer. Is John Crane somebody you know, or is John some Crane yes. someone you? Yes, John. John and I um, have collaborated on several shorts together through um, the Man in Shorts program on the Isle of Man, which is a short film group. Okay. And we met, um, I don't know, five or six years ago when I was um, back living on the Isle of Man for a while. And he approached me. I have a prop house as well. Yeah, where right. I rent props. And he approached me. He was he had written and was um, and was uh, the the director of photography on a short that was going to be filming, and they wanted to get some props. Right. He called me basically to sort of beg for props for free, and I said to him, "Well, you know, it's odd that the cinematographer writer is calling. Who's your?" designer who's doing the art department and he said we don't have anybody and I said well I'll do it I'll do it I'll come and do it and um they were all jazzed and so that's how we hooked up and he and I just have a very similar visual aesthetic and um just you know we we laugh that we have a, there's a there's a certain shot and a certain style that We've decided when we're old and grey and very famous, we'll be known as the Reese Crane look. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but we just we just work very well together. So we did we I production designed three or four projects that he had written and shot, and then um, and then I can uh, can can, it, can we, I, I didn't thought about this. I'd forgotten because of an idiot really. I'd forgotten John obviously the cinematographer on this as well too, and then obviously you having that relationship. And it'd be interesting to know, obviously, as you know, in this instance, you're 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 directing where he's the cinematographer. But where I'm guessing prop design and art department work very closely with the cinematographer in terms of what you're trying to achieve, in terms of what the director's sort of asking that they want. So how, how could could you just unpack that relationship a bit, just generally speaking, in terms of a film for for people listening? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like it's. As far as the production design and cinematography go, you get a um, you get obviously get a uh, a brief mm. from what's what's obvious in the script, and then you get a brief from the director based on I kind of these are my references. These are I want it to look like this, this, and this. 
So the, the design element and cinematography go hand in hand because we talk about color, we talk about light, we talk about um, shape and form of rooms, windows, furniture, how things work. Also for the cinematography side of just simply the technical of how they can get their shots within the space that the production design creates for them. Mm. So, you know, in like in, in our short, I, um, I was very definite in um, the, there's a shot that's inside a cupboard. Yeah. And we want, I wanted to be able to be inside the cupboard for that shot. The classic, and, uh, I think, I think people who haven't seen, who haven't seen your film at this point, it's kind of like a signature shot, isn't it? In uh, Breaking Bad, the idea of looking. Yes. Yes. It's exactly that. You're inside looking. You're inside and you, your actors are revealed. Yeah. And, and that was what I wanted. And that meant that we had to build a set mm. because trying to find the style that I wanted as the director of the room um, and the house, trying to find that and also find somewhere that we could then say to the people, Thanks for letting us have your house for no money. Can I knock the back of that wall out so that I can get this shot? Uh-huh. It was never, never going to happen. I wanted a much more controlled environment too. Indeed. So, um, I had pushed for that. But that's really where the, the, that collaboration comes in. And I'm really lucky with John because John is primarily a cinematographer. Okay. Um, but he's also a brilliant writer. And so he writes things, but then he just gives it to you. It's not that he's sitting at camera going, well, that's not what I meant when I wrote those words. You know, he just, he gives you the gift of the script and then leads you to it. So what was, what was the process of collaboration in terms of this script then? So he, is he written well, this and said? This one was interesting because um, Man in Shorts and Isle of Man film, which is where we got our funding, mm-hmm. um, have a pitch fest every year at the festival. Right, yeah. And the people who um, run the festival had were up at the prop house one day for something or other, picking up something. And the guy who, who runs it, Dave Armstrong, said, you know, you've never pitched anything. You know, you've worked on all these shorts over the years. You've never pitched anything. You should pitch something as a director. Mm-hmm. And no, he said, you should pitch something. And I'm like, I'm not a writer. You know, I, I can, you know, you give me some words and I can make a magic, but I don't know how to make the words. So... You know, and he said, well, you don't need to have, um, you know, he said, get John to write you a script. Get somebody you know to write you a script. You know people. He said, pitch something. You would be good as a director. So I was like, oh, okay. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so I went to John. I sat and thought about it. And I went to John and, and we went out for a drink and talked about it. And I said, I just really want if I'm going to do it, I really want a story. I want a beginning, a middle, and an end, a narrative. Yeah. Um, as, as a first project. And also, um, it, for me, I needed as a first directing, official directing project, um, I needed to be able to create a, a backstory for my character and, and in my head have a whole world for them so I could place them where I needed to place them and would know what I wanted their reactions to be in certain times based on this whole life I'd created for them. Sure. So I gave John 
that premise. And then I said, it also needs to be something that we, we have to do it on the Isle of Man. That's part and parcel of us getting the grants. Okay. And I also want to be able to utilize the things that are available there. Um, you know, let's not write something to shoot on the Isle of Man that's set in, you know, the Taj Mahal or something. You know, it's like, let's do something that we can, that we can shoot here. And so he wrote that. He wrote me this script to order almost. Um, and he sent me a couple of other things and I wasn't wild about them. And then he sent me ready to go and I read it and I could see the whole thing in my head as I was reading it. And at that point then, so you're, you're going great. It was, was there any sort of collaboration about then how that developed or was that a finished thing that you then took and made? Oh, we didn't, we didn't, once I got the script, the only changes um, came, there was, um, in the, well, you've seen it. So, mm. um, the, the way the script reads, um, there's no cutaways. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I saw the cutaways in my head when I was reading it. And John had not pictured that at all. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm adamant. I want them in there. That's what I want. That's how I want it to be. And, and he was great. I mean, he was like, terrific. I think, you know, I think it's really cool. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. I just thought of him sitting talking about these things. And, um, but, but I love the idea. So that was, that was sort of my interpretation of the script as opposed to any changes. And there were just a couple of dialogue changes that came from Kevin, mm. um, where, uh, in the original script, um, uh, Lance uh, uh, swears once when he's talking to the old lady on the bus. Yeah. Um, when we got Kevin Doyle, which was a gift from the production gods of an enormous amount, um, he he we had a long talk about the character and, and everything else, and he said, "I just don't think that Lance would swear in front of a woman." He said, I actually don't think he would swear, period, but I don't think he definitely wouldn't. He's too much of a gentleman. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, having seen it, I can, I can agree. It would, have, it would have been very jarring had he used any yes, foul language. that's exactly what he said. And mm. he said, can we change that? You know, and when, when we got Kevin and John knew I was having, you know, um, the phone meeting with him about character and the script, he said, please tell him you know, anything that he wants to change or if there's anything that he feels isn't right, I'm happy to do whatever needs to be done. Do you think in the way that you were being sort of like, you know, so you were clear about your vision, given the kind of brief you gave to John on right. what we want to do, but then in the process of what you were making, do you think that, ref how much do you think that reflects your own experience of it really being a collaborative experience? Nobody, no single person really ever has the sort of leads everything by the nose to the end, do they? It's like everybody's got a valid opinion at certain points. If it's and, and everything can be heard and assessed on its own merits at the right time and the right place, can't it? Sounds like. Um. Yes and no. Okay, I mean, I have to say, I have to say that one of the things that I found so um, satisfying in a you know in a weird way was the fact that I was the final word. 
you know, we can, we can talk about it. We can have discussions. We can do this, that and the other. But I know in my head what I want this to look like. Okay, so it's not so so it's not about agreeing, is it? It's about finding the right answer and, and what you want. But yeah, and it's about you know you can have you know, and I've worked for them. I've had directors who stand there and scream about their vision, and then there are other directors who go, you know what, I love that. It's a really great idea, but let's try it this way. Did you scream about your vision at any point? No. <laughs> No, I didn't. It was, it was, I, I have to say, I've never felt more at home than I did in front of that monitor. It was fantastic. I loved every last minute of it. Now, the way you told the story in the, in the podcast so far is that somebody at the Shorts Festival says, why don't you pitch as a director? I can't right. believe, given what we said, that was the instigation for you to be a director, was it? You, you were thinking about this anyway, weren't you? No. Seriously. Really? Seriously, that, that aside was your leap into directing. Yeah, totally. I, I, I completely lay it all at Dave Armstrong's feet. Wow. For better because, or for worse. <laughs> but what's interesting is yeah. I realise um, that I've been doing it in my head for years. Okay. Um. Because American prop masters are different to British prop masters. Okay. Like we're, we're in, in America, it's um, much more sort of creative job. You're very collaborative with the directors. You, we do all the action props, all the smalls, all the hand props. It's our own department. Um, and it's just a diff, completely different job right. to, to the UK version. Um, and what's, so what's the UK version then? The UK version is you're more of a an overseer. Um, in in the states we have a position called the lead man, which mm. works with the set decorator. So you're like, okay, here's all the stuff we have. This stuff needs to be at this set. This set over here needs to get struck. This set over here needs to get dressed, or they need something on set now. So you're kind of like this. Mm. Overseer, administrator of all of of all of the props and set dressing, hmm. um, and it's it's more, like I said, more um, administrative than creative. And I'm not knocking the job; it just it's just not the job I do. Okay, and, and that, um, that signifies the difference between working in the states, working in the UK. Yes, exactly. And so I, I've always been. You know, I look at the words and then I'm like, okay, I, I can run with this or I can see something that would work really great in this particular instance. Right. Um, and um, a classic example of this is there's a movie I did called The Sultan Sea. Mm -hmm. And in that movie, we're at a, at a drug ranch with a bunch of crystal meth tweakers. Right. And in the script, it says that they are reenacting the Kennedy assassination with a remote control Lincoln Continental car with pigeons strapped in to represent um, Jack Kennedy and, and Jackie. Wow. And so, so, so you're reading this, right? And they're like, okay, so they're like, okay, get us, show us um, remote control cars. And I start to look, and the only remote control cars that are made that are of that model, Lincoln, are small. 
So I go in and I'm like, look, they're tweakers. Tweakers make things out of stuff. All the, you know, they're like frantically busy and they'll do things. I said, I'm going to make you a car out of all the shit that would be in a pile in a meth lab. Like, you know, acetone cans and spatulas and all these things. And I created this vehicle out of all these things. And it's my favorite prop that I've ever made in life. And, but it's that kind of thing. I bring that in when I, when I prop. And so I'm already thinking above and beyond the box, you know, outside my prop box. I was going to say that sounds like you were, you were doing like a fine art project where you go, look, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I have to get my jollies somehow. I can't show up with what's on the page. It's too boring. So, um, so, and I do, and I think, and I, and, you know, over the years, because I've done it a long time, now I speak out, you know, if I see something or I'm like, no, that wouldn't be this way because, you know, and I, and I realized in the last few years, I have just been directing in my head. Okay. And, and do you think, is that just the natural accumulation of what you've seen as the cause and effect of what you've been able to do with props and, and art design and stuff that... Then you I see the finished thing, and then then you begin to preempt it in your head because you're going, "Oh no, if we do this or if we do that," and then suddenly you can add so much more, can't you? I suppose. Yeah, and I think too, um, I've I've been really lucky in that I've worked with some amazingly talented directors, and I've also worked with some very new directors. Okay. And watching them, watching the the seasoned ones. I spun, you know, got all that and soaked it up like a sponge. Mm. And then I watched, watched the newer ones and I sit there and in my head I'm going, well, if you just said this to the actors or you gave them that direction, they would pick that up. Or if we just shot this this way, that would give you what you need in the story without us having to do 26 setups here. But I'm doing that in my head. So can you, uh, for an illustrator then, could you give an example of a, sort of one of those nuggets of wisdom that you've kind of accumulated over the time that you were able to apply into your own work yourself with uh, Ready to Go? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I worked with uh, Gus Van Sant. Okay. Um, and also Norman Jewison, right? Two, wow. two ends of the spectrum of, of brilliance. Yeah. Both directors shoot one maybe two takes mm-hmm. and I had asked both of them and I sort of worked with Norman I don't know maybe 18 years ago yeah and we were doing a big food scene and there was all this stuff happening and we did it we did it in a one and then they were like okay we're moving on to the next set and I was like are we not doing coverage are we not going in you know and he and he said no we don't need it and I sort of looked at him and he looked at me and he said I edit in my head he said, I know exactly what I need whenever I walk onto a set. Okay. And once I've got it, I don't need to do it again. You know, and it used to be when we shot on film, you'd do it again just to have a safety in case the lab screwed up. Okay. But we shoot on digital now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's backup happening simultaneously. So you don't need to do it again. And that's what I got from those two directors was, you know, I mean, John and I storyboarded. I had a very specific vision all the way through. We storyboarded. We des- I designed the sets with Catherine so that I could get exactly what, how the shots that I wanted. 
And so we would do something and I and I would be like, that's great. Plus, I had Kevin, who was so brilliant that we didn't need to do it 50 times. Um, and so uh, we we that was that. And the other one was a, a, a woman, Alison Anders, who's a, a indie director who I've worked yeah. with a couple of times, um, who won at Sundance and, and has moved on to television now. She's yeah. I love she's brilliant. And she basically always said, if you've talked to your actors about their characters prior to shooting, you know, when you're when you're in prep and you're developing the project and you you've had deep discussions with them about who these people are and what they do and how they would react to things. If you put them in the sets in this and you provided them the environment you shouldn't have to go in and micromanage. You should be able to let them do their job. So that, yeah, so you, it's like that you're saying they, they should know who they are at that point. So there's no. Right, exactly. You yeah. know, and, yeah, yeah. and, 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 and uh, but also having. Which is, imp- which is empowering as well, isn't it? It's not just about you yeah. being confident. It's about them, I guess it's in putting it on them then, isn't it? And saying, look, I trust you, look, I'm not. I mean, there there are some, and I will say there are some actors who desperately need to be directed. Yeah. And 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 ask for it. Um, and that's fine. Kevin was not one of those people. I was going to say, let's segue to Kevin then. So Kevin, you said, was from the cast in Heavens. So how, oh. how, how did you get hold of Kevin Doyle then? Because he, I mean, again, having seen the film... I really cannot imagine anyone else doing the role so much justice. I know. I know. It's that's exactly and it's interesting because the way John wrote it, hmm. it's not Kevin. Really? And John says now, when I wrote that, I didn't have you know, had a certain person in my mind. And then when Linda cast Kevin and I watched Kevin, I can't imagine anybody else being Lance now. Hmm. So my producer Bev Lawley um, has a is a casting um, agent for uh, extras for background. Yeah, and has produced several shorts on the island and does uh, has also produced a lot of educational films. Right. And um, I, when I pitched this, I and I got the grant. I went to her and I said, "Look, you know, we've we've collaborated on several projects with John." Like, would you would you come produce it for me, Bev? And she came on board and she said, OK, well, what we'll do is we'll, you, you know, we'll just get everything. You know, you create a package and we'll send it out. And she, and she said, we really want to get a name. You really want to get a recognizable name. Hmm. And, that way, you know, your your movie will have some legs then because people will. You'll, you'll get an audience that maybe you wouldn't have gotten if you if you didn't have, you know, well, it's from Downton Abbey and everyone would go, oh, I'll watch it because I like Yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of stuff, which which unfortunately, you know, sells Kevin short because he's so brilliant um, in so many other things as well. And um, so we, you know, they, and it's funny because I'm terrible with names. Mm-hmm. So she and John are spouting all these names. She said, we just go to like, you know, veteran British television actors. 
And she said, you know, and she's, and I said, look, send me pictures. Cause I don't, when you give me a name, I have no idea who it is. You send me the face and I'll go, Oh, I know who that is. Got you. So they sent me, the pair of them went through and they, they pulled cause I'm here and not watching much British TV. Mm-hmm. So they sent me all these people and we, we fine tuned it down to, I think five. And I can't honestly remember who the other four are now. Um, but Kevin was on that list. And um, she said, we just send it out. All they can do is say no. You know, we'll we'll give it a go. And she said, that's that's always been her MO. You just ask and you see what happens. And she said, the thing about this project is it's a 10-minute monologue. It's a very much a single person's project. A lot of television actors are part of ensemble casts. It's really a weekend away for them. And they're paid and they get to be the star. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and it's also a little calling card to show them being able to do something a bit different. And what, But one of the key things watching it is is that for his character, for us to be engaged with his character, it is actually, it feels like it's all about the understatement. Almost yeah. every time he opens his mouth is, it's, because we know where he's going, we know he's upset and yet it's almost like he's they're, they're just it's almost like words it's almost like he's not conscious of the words coming out of his mouth if that makes sense yeah well i just i had always you know my take on lance was that he's marginally on the spectrum you know mm. and he's and and he's just my backstory for him was that you know he was married his wife died four or five years ago no children. They had the cat. Mm. The cat's the last thing. But he doesn't go out. He's retired. You know, very socially inept. And when Kevin and I talked about this, we were like, you know, he might have a green sweater and a green tie. And he would think that they went together, but they wouldn't quite go together. But he wouldn't know that. His wife would have come in and gently changed something, you know. Mm. And so without her, he's neat and tidy, but just not quite together and socially inept. So he doesn't even realize that these people are not responding to him. Well, yeah. And and also the way you start the movie as well is that, you know, it's clearly it's clearly even though you don't walk us around the house, it's clearly a man rattling around his house. Yeah. And and the, the only company he has is the cat. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, with with it's, with, it's, with <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting as well because there's two there's two extremes. There's 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 Kevin. There's, there's Lance. Sorry, talking about how he feels and letting everybody know how he feels, and, and clearly we're building a picture as to how upset this whole process is making him feel. But then, but then you 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 take the words away from it all in the sort of sort of after we've gone to the vets, as it were, and right. the. It's a. I mean, I've, it's. I mean, I've never, I've never been to a vet, so I don't know. It's like it's almost like because obviously you're doing it. You, you, you know, essentially, it's a family member has died when you put a cat down. You know, yeah. and the handing over of the cat's collar is is a real sort of punch in the gut. Not it isn't just process at all, is it? And it, and the whole yeah. moment it's there, and all and all that's really happening is here's here's a, the collar of, uh, you know. But obviously, that's where. Lance is really 
the, tr- the, the truth of what's going on really hits him. And he hasn't yeah. got, he hasn't got words anymore. <laughs> no, no, it's, it is that, um, was, how was that on the pet of interest? How was that on the page compared to what we see on the screen? It's, it's pretty gut wrenching. We had, they basically, the way it was written was they hand back the basket. Hmm. You know, and I had talked to John about this and I said, it's just, it, it does, it's not as powerful to me. Mm. You know, so we, you know, I said, let's do something, you know, it's like, it needs to be something that was there. So I'm like, let's have them to, we'll put a collar on the cat mm. and we'll have her hand the collar back and the basket you know, it's just sort of secondary kind of thing. Mm. And that, you know, but, but it still was a sucker punch on the page. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. John, again, when I first read it and, and how I pitched it was, you know, it's, it's a huge question. You know, what would you do? How yeah. would you feel? You know, if you knew when you were going to die, you decided that you wanted to, you know, know the date of your death. Yeah. Yeah. Role of it, how would you how would you address that? How would you feel? And I'm I'm a clown, you know. I I can't deal with those questions. Those are too huge. I'd never leave the house if I started to really think about those things without being able to address them with humour, which is also a very British thing. That sort of gallows humour that that we Brits have. Have you ever but, have you ever read Denial of Death at all from the Pulitzer Prize? Yeah. It's a Pulitzer Prize winner from seventy three. Uh, I forget the guy's first name, but his surname's Becker. He wrote the book. And in it, his basic hypothesis is that as adults, we, we are children and we lock, we stop being children when we understand our own mortality. Let's say the segue might be 10 or 11 years old. And he said, and for many of us, or the majority of us, and I think he's talking in Western world terms. Right. We then deny we're going to die for the rest of our lives. And, and his view is if we can accept we're going to die, then we can just live. <laughs> right, like, right. Which is, a really, which is a really kind of, it sounds like a, a warped way of thinking about it, but it, uh, once I'd read it, it kind of, it rung really true, that idea of, look, I am going to die, I'm organic matter, eventually it'll come to a stop, or, you know, it by a bus, whatever it might be, but that's going to happen. There's nothing right. I can do to stop it, so worrying about it... Is, isn't going to help. <laughs> isn't, hel- isn't helping me live. But like yeah. you're right, you're right though. So then, when you get the question, if the question isn't isn't will we die? If the question is, I know when you're going to die, and and it's lovely the way he illustrates it, and and it's kind of quite cute, isn't it? With the he's talking to an old lady about old ladies going to to to, to Switzerland to be uh, yeah. to be to be uh, to know they're going to die. So yeah, I'd, I'd never until your until Lance said it, I'd never thought of getting on a plane and thinking. Because you go on a plane, don't you, you know, really, to go on holiday or go to work. Right, right, no, and to to go to Switzerland to, to have assisted suicide, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know. But I was, the, my whole thing was like, you know, and what helped with John's script is because he has the same humour that I have, mm. is he handles it with these great throwaway lines. You know, of like, well, you wouldn't order broccoli for your last meal or those mm. kind of things. <clears throat> and <Yeah. laughs> I wanted to have that, have have those 
moments of comic relief to bring bring you back out because otherwise the whole subject matter would have been too depressing. Mm. Um, um, for me, I think the, the, one of the most interesting things has been on the circuit, the festival circuit, Mm. sitting in um, and it really happened the first time when I was in Albuquerque Yeah, in a theatre, full theatre with nobody I knew so nobody had to laugh or cry or jump or do any of the things because I had to be sitting next to them Yeah, um, you know it was, a, it was people's honest sort of visceral reactions and they all were exactly what they were supposed to be at the points they were supposed to be and I was like that's so awesome that we had this, we had these words that we wanted to have create these reactions mm. and they just did it, you know? And so that was, you know, I'm like, okay, that's sort of, you know, I'll drink that Kool-Aid every day, you know? Now there's two, we, there's, there's two elements, there's two elements of the story and one we won't, there's the big, there's the big spoil. And, right. Which we won't we won't do. But in terms of audience reaction, you mentioned before we started, there's 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 even question marks for some audience members about the notion of I'm guessing taking a cat to be put down full stop is a question right. that people Well that's it. A lot of people with. can't can't get past that. Wow. I had I had one um had one festival um come back to us very nicely with with comments on why they weren't gonna take us on and the 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 first line was i've just had to put down two of my animals and i couldn't watch this wow you know and and you know just and and it's interesting it's like there are people who can't get past that to see the underlying meanings of, of, you know, or the deeper questions mm. and certainly can't get to the, to the bigger spoiler portion of it. Of course, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. who, who, you know, immediately pick up on, you know, on the bigger question that Lance is asking. So it's it's fascinating. It's just it's it's been a fascinating experience for me to to be the creative head, be the person that people come and say, well, it meant this to me or it meant that to me. And and, and, and everything's right, isn't it? Because because I've heard somebody say this to me before in the podcast where it's like once it's out there, the films, the audiences then because. Oh, yeah. You know, for better or for worse. They're going to find what they find, and obviously we all we all bring our own lives to watching something, don't we? And our own experiences. So even if we've never put an animal down, we can still bring our feelings towards death and and like the questions that are asked in the in the in the conversations that Lance has. No, absolutely, and it like I said, I you know having people talk to me about you know what they think Lance's backstory was or. Mm. Or, you know, why he said certain things in certain places or what the cutaways meant. And um, it's, it's fascinating because I'm like, that's great. I'm, I'm really glad that you got that from it. Can I ask you, know? you what, would, what, would, what would you, given, given, given you were drawing on all this experience and then, which is, which is one thing to sort of know what you're getting into, 
But what would you say was a was a was a lesson learned from doing the directing that that you 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 hadn't anticipated that you'll be taking forward? Um, I think for me because it had was a new experience is post. Okay. Um, in that I need to learn. I very much. Um, again, from my years of working, realized that <clears throat> I'm now at an age where I'm like, okay, I'll say yes to anything. Okay. If I don't know how to do it, I'll get people on board who do and have them help me. Got you. So, um, and in my post, and but I want to learn more about that. Okay. Because I think, I mean, we did, we did a great, you know, Edward, my editor did a great job and he, you know, he laughed because I said, you don't have much to work with because we only did one or two takes. Mm. And he's like, well, hopefully it will be all right, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but there, there were technical things that I, um, that I didn't know about, um, that had some marginal post-production um, issues of, of like, you know, shooting in 2K to 4K and transfers and, you know, coloring and, and, and all this stuff that I didn't know about that I just sort of nodded and said, oh, yeah, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. Right, right, okay. And none of them were huge issues, but they were things that we had to go back and, and fix some things. So you're kind of saying you could have... You, you, you know elements now that help you smooth I, I the roots. I realise that I need to do a lot more um, homework on uh, or get them to explain things to me in a layman's term. Got you. Well, look, it only says to get you to best of luck with the rest of the journey that you get with uh, Ready to Go. Um, Thank you. And your, uh, your now trajectory to be, uh, to, I'm guessing feature film and stuff will be, will, or TV will be where you'll be looking, I suppose. Yeah, probably, uh, um, probably television just because it's, you know, you can guest direct all the time. Yeah, so yeah, a lot yeah. of friends of mine do it and they you know, that, that pays the bills mm. and then you go off and do, you know, shorts and, and little indie features to, to do the things for love. Brilliant. So sounds like a good life for me for the next 20. Sounds like a plan. Well, look, thanks very much for your time on the Britflix podcast. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.